Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. We've been in a series now, going through this letter verse by verse for some time now, and we find ourselves in chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to walk through it together. This is what God's Word says. 1 John 2, 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you, have, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is, it, is of the truth. Who is this liar but he who denies that, the G- that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. We'll stop there in our reading. Titled this message, Encouragement in evil times. When children are scared, it's a parent's job to encourage them in that scary time, isn't it? When, when kids are scared, it's, it's the parent's responsibility to, to be there for them, to provide comfort and encouragement that it's going to be alright. I've admired a family that we know in Springfield, uh, their kid, he was in my youth group and uh, when I was youth pastoring. I've always admired these parents because their son has a terminal illness that uh, has a low life expectancy um, and you're not expected to live very long. And so in a lot of ways they're counting their days with him. And uh, by God's grace, he's still alive today. I'm praying for more years to come. But I've just admired the way they've parented him in that. How, how can you parent a kid in that? Right? And, and so uh, he actually just turned 21 a few days ago, and I saw them post on Facebook just a, an amazing uh, tribute of their love to him, saying, we're, we're so thankful for every day with him. Um, in all honesty, he's scared because he knows maybe what his future might look like. He's really scared. And yet we're, they, just always speaking encouragement to him and not lying to him, letting the truth be the truth, the real possibilities be the real possibilities unless a miracle happens, and yet they are always there to encourage him and lift him up in that scary time. John, in this passage in his old age, is able to write to these Christians and call them his children. I would feel very strange saying that to you. 
my children. <laughs> like, this is very weird. Um, I think it's in his old age that he feels comfortable saying that. But he says, children. And then he goes on to talk to them about hard times that they're living in. This letter is not to uh, show people that they aren't true Christians. That's not what this letter is about, though it, it might happen that way. This letter is not to say, You're aren't, you aren't Christians because this, uh, that, and the other. No, instead, it's him writing to Christians and to encourage them in what they're going through. That's what verse 21 says, doesn't it? If we go back to it, he says, I write to you not because you don't know the truth. No, 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 because you do know the truth. Writing to Christians because no lie is of the truth. So, because you're Christians, because you know the truth, and because there's lies out there, I want to, John is saying, first warn you and be honest with you about the realities around you and what you're going to be faced with. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to warn you, and then secondly, I'm going to encourage you to tell them they have what it takes to withstand what they're going through. So John's honest with them. He says, children, I'm going to give you a couple warnings. And actually he gives them three things to be warned about and then two encouragements to offset those warnings. Let's look at the three warnings. Um, starting in verse 18, he says, children, it's the last hour. He's going to just shoot straight with them and say, guys, it's the last hour. It was then when John was writing, and it, and it is now today as well. So I can say church. I won't say children. Church, it's the last hour. It was then, it is now. And that's a warning. It's an alarm. Because what we know, but what Jesus said about it and how it would be hard for Christians when that hour came or when that time came. John 16, Jesus is talking. And he says in verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, that hour is coming. It's the last hour. John's talking about. Indeed, that hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he's offering a service to God. That's what happens in the last hour. It's not an easy time to be a Christian. You'll expect persecution and hardships and ridicule. And so it, doesn't it make sense? It's the last hour now, still. And it makes sense when you look at the Middle East, when you look at Asia, and you see Christians are being persecuted and dying for their faith. That's what Jesus said would happen in John 16. And so that's the first warning that John gives to his church. He says, guys, it's the last hour. Warning number two goes along with it. Therefore, the Antichrist is going to surface during this time. He says, if we go, if we go back to the passage, 1 John 2.18, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. Yeah. You've heard about him already, and he's coming. It's that time when he will come. That's the second warning. According to Daniel, according to 
2 Thessalonians, according to Revelation, this Antichrist will be a, a political leader and or a religious leader. He'll be an agent for Satan, but not Satan himself. An agent for Satan. And he'll try to replace Christ in the hearts of his followers. That prefix, anti, does not just mean against. That's what we normally think of when when we think of that word anti. Anti, fill in the blank, you're against that thing. But anti also means in place of in the Greek language. And so when, when he's saying this person's going to be an antichrist, it's going to be a person not only against Christ and try to pull people away from Christ, but he's going to try to take Christ's place. Every generation thinks theirs is the one to have that antichrist, right? To have the antichrist living and breathing today. Right in the first century, it was Nero. In the 1500s, it was the Pope during the Reformation, trying to take Christ's place. It was in the 30s, many thought it would be Mussolini or Adolf Hitler. Every generation thinks it's their generation to have the Antichrist. The 2000s, you could probably say it was Osama bin Laden. The Antichrist is coming during the last hour. The reality is all of those could be an Antichrist, but not the Antichrist. We don't know when the Antichrist will come, and that leads to the third warning, saying that all of those that I mentioned could be an Antichrist, because the third warning is not only that the Antichrist is coming during this time, but also during this time, many Antichrists have come and will come. Not just one. Did you know that? Not just one Antichrist comes at the last hour which we're living in, but many Antichrists come during the last hour. These are people who reject Jesus as the Messiah. We see that if we just drop down a few verses to verse 22. It says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So the Antichrist is going to reject Christ and more specifically, reject His deity and being God and His preexistence. If we actually flip, we're going to look at this passage later on when we get to it, but 1 John chapter 4 Verse 3, it says, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. So, there are many Antichrists. There's going to be many Antichrists leading up to the Antichrist. And they will reject Christ, specifically His deity and His pre-existence. So now we start looking around, don't we? (laughs) Is that an antichrist? Are you an antichrist? And and we start getting really paranoid, don't we? Well, 
I don't think we should. There are a lot of people who reject Jesus. Even in your families and my family. People that reject Jesus, though, and they're not antichrists that have been sent into the world. Muslims reject Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons reject the biblical Jesus. Atheists reject Jesus as the Messiah. But antichrists are those who specifically were at one time a part of the church. Go back to the passage that we're in currently, 1 John 2, verse 19. It's talking about the Antichrist. It says, children, it's the last hour. As you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They, talking about the many Antichrists, went out from us. That's what Antichrists do. They, They were a part of the church at one time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. So they start up, spring up from inside the church. And that makes sense, doesn't it? When we look around and we see churches in the West, in America, that today are intoxicated with ungodly, unbiblical beliefs. That's that's what we're looking at here. 1 John 2. And not only do they spring up from inside the church, but they're committed to deceiving people and turning them away from Christ, right? They're the anti-Christs. They're against Christ, and they want to be in place of Christ. And you can look at that if you want to, if you're taking notes. And 2 John, we're going to be there quite a while down the road when we get to it. 2 John, verse 7. We won't look at that right now, though. They're committed to deceiving people. I, I would say, just to get very practical in real life today, for you and I, there, the many antichrists that fit that, that description go by the term progressive Christians. If you've ever heard that term before, it's very fitting to what John describes to be an antichrist. A leading name in that movement, progressive Christianity, is Brandon Robertson. I'd say be warned of him, church. Just to let you know, be warned of Brandon Robertson. He fits this description. He rejects the historical Jesus and he deceives many with heresies. And so, be warned. It is the last hour. The Antichrist is coming. And indeed, many Antichrists have already come and are continuing to come. These are three warnings. And in particular, that last one, the many ones, I just want to think about many antichrists. Think about that with me for a second. It's as if John is joining the other biblical authors and just flashing warning lights to us. You're going to be outnumbered. You're going to be outnumbered in this world. Consider these scriptures. Just just think on this. You don't have to flip there. I'm going to mention too many. Just listen to them. Matthew 7.14 says that the way is narrow and those who find it are few. Matthew 9.37 The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Matthew 22.14 Many are called, but few 
are chosen. Now, on the other side of that, Matthew 22, sorry, Matthew 24 and 1 John 4.1 says that there will be many false prophets, not few, many false prophets. In the present passage, 1 John 2 says that there will be many antichrists. 1 Corinthians 16.9 says that there will be many adversaries of the faith. 2 Corinthians 2.17 says that there are currently many peddlers of the word of God. That means swindlers and crooks. Titus 1.10, 2 John 7, there are many deceivers who are out there. 2 Peter 2, verse 2, there are many who follow their sensual lusts and desires. So John just joins the other biblical authors and just flashing this, you're going to be outnumbered. There's many of them and there will be few of us. And so then I guess we should just take that and see that being in agreement with the majority of the world is rarely good. It's usually concerning if you're in agreement with the majority of the world. I, I, I think about this quote from John Knox, this Scottish preacher. He said, a man with God, though, is always in the majority. You might not be in the majority with the world, but any man who's in the majority with God, that's good. I almost got that quote hung up on my wall in my office. And, uh, well, first I tried the house. That definitely didn't fly. And then I said, well, do it in the office. And Sarah still said no. She said, it's just not warm enough. It's not inviting enough. <laughs> so you should go to my office. I got one even worse. Less warming and less inviting, but I love it. And so... And my friend gave it to me for Christmas. He can't fight it. So, We don't want to be a part of the majority belief in the world. There's many. And there's few. And that's why, we're, that's why we're doing this catechism thing. I just want to keep going back to that and, and, and explaining why we're wanting to do a Baptist catechism. To instill solid doctrines to help us reject the lies of the world. Because there's many of them. And there's many who are professing them. So I just, can I just give a a challenge to you maybe. Memorize that question and answer. Work on it with your kids. Especially if you have the app, you can do children's mode. And the question gets a lot, or the answer gets a lot easier. But work on memorizing that internalizing that one step further if you'd be so courageous maybe videotape yourself doing that send it to me and I might create a if I get enough a compilation of families in our church memorizing this solid doctrine we want to be people who reject the narrative of the many who have gone out to deceive the world and instilling within our church solid doctrine from Baptist catechism is a good way to do that. So John gives these three warnings, and I think if 
you read verse 18, it's the last hour, there's the Antichrist, and he's very convincing, and then there's going to be many Antichrists, and then you read in verse 19, they're coming from the church, from amongst us. I don't know about you, but that can cause in me some worry. Am I a part of that? Am am I drifting from God? Is John talking about me? You ever had those kinds of thoughts? Am I just a fraud? Am I really living what I'm saying? Right, we can question our faith. We can second guess our love for Jesus. Just wonder if we're frauds. Say like, I can't quote scripture like that guy. I don't pray nearly as much as she does. Right? I don't know nearly as much as they do. And then we read 1 John 2, 18 and 19. There are many antichrists. And they're coming from the church. And it starts to well up this anxiety. Personally. And that's where the parent can come in and say, children, I'll shoot straight with you. I'll be honest about the world that we live in, but a good parent also comes and encourages their children in the midst of that scary time. Isn't that what a parent does? When Sarah and I took Judah to um, a park, I think it was in Liberty or Kansas City area, uh, some Monday when we had the day off, and we drove down there, and it was a really fun time, but there was this really big uh, uh, rope jungle gym, so it was just made out of all just ropes, and Judah didn't want to get on it. And as a dad, you know, you kind of push him a little bit. Like, you know, you're going to get on it. You're going to have fun. <laughs> He's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to like it. You're going to like it, I promise. You know, dads, right? You know. And so, um, so we start, and he starts getting nervous, and we, we start climbing up, and there's like five tiers, and it's really tall. And I'm like, you can do it, buddy. This is why we drove the whole way. I'm not wasting gas for nothing, right? And so we, we start climbing up, and he's like clinging on me like a koala, and, and uh, he was really scared. Say maybe some anxiety in him. But by the time we got up there to the very top, there's this really long slide. And I was like, hey, Daddy's got you. Dad's not going to let anything happen to you. Dad's with you. And that really did actually, after I kind of just looked him in the face, said, look at me, you're okay. He was fine. Parents, they don't take the kid out of the thing that makes them nervous so much as they encourage them in the midst of what makes them nervous, right? And that's what John is doing. He, get, he shoots straight with him. He's very clear. Guys, it's the last hour. It is. And the Antichrist is coming. And there's many Antichrists, and he's coming from amongst you all. But children, I want to encourage you in that. And he gives them two encouragements. That's John's desire, and that's my desire for you, is to be encouraged amidst this reality. Listen, you won't be swallowed up. Christian, you won't be swallowed up. You can be encouraged by two works of God in your life during the last hour. Two works of God. Firstly, be encouraged that God has done 
an illuminating work in your life. If you're a Christian, God's already done that. You can cling to that truth. He has already done that, an illuminating work in your life. What's that mean? What in the world do I mean by that? Well, go back to the text. We're in verse 20 now. He gives them the scary reality of the Antichrist. Verse 20, but you, children, Christian, remember, you have been anointed by the Holy One. You know, when you think about being anointed, you think it's for those who are particularly gifted, don't you? And you say, man, that person is anointed. You think, man, that person's particularly talented and gifted. They're anointed. I don't say, no, you're anointed. You're anointed. If you're saved, you have been anointed, washed over. Oh, goodness sakes. <laughs> Lost my glasses when I was trying to fix my... There we go. It's not buzzing anymore. Okay. <laughs> Are you back with me? Oh, no. If you've been saved, I don't want to lose your attention now. If you've been saved, you've been washed over or anointed by the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus means by someone being born of water and spirit in John 3. Right? You have to be born of water and spirit. That means you have to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. And so let me just say to the Christians who's, who's down and out about their current reality and their faith, maybe that's you. I just want to speak to you. If you love Jesus, you have been anointed just as much as the most talented Christian you know. You have been. What happened in their life and what is happening in their life, that whoever that person is you're comparing yourself with, what happened to you is just as miraculous as what happened in their life. God brought you back from the dead, spiritual death, just like he did them. Just as he did them, you have been anointed. And because you've been anointed, now you have knowledge. That's what the rest of the verse says. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So now because the Holy Spirit has come upon us, now we know and we see God as He is. Glorious and awesome. That's not a natural thing to you. That doesn't come naturally to you or to I. A sobering quote that I think about often, maybe I've mentioned it multiple times here, is by J.C. Ryle. He says, we are all by nature blind and deaf and dumb. <laughs> Thanks, J.C. And asleep and beyond ourselves and dead. Nothing will ever convince man of sin but the power of the Holy Ghost. Show him hell, he won't run from it. Show him heaven, he won't seek it out. Silence him with warnings, and yet he will not stir. Prick his conscience, and yet he will remain hard-hearted. To show what man really is, is the special work of the Holy Spirit. So you have been anointed, and because you have been anointed, now you can see God and see yourself as you are and as He is. 
When you were anointed, you were given a new heart and knowledge that you didn't have before. That's what Jesus means when he says that he makes eyes to see and ears to hear. So, as you're looking around and you hear John, there's many antichrists coming from the church. Be encouraged. That's John's message to you. That's my message to you. Be encouraged. God has done an illuminating work in your life. He has anointed you to know him. And secondly, he has and he will continue to do a persevering work in your life. Not only has he illuminated in your heart, but he will continue to illuminate in your heart a deep love for him. Let's go back to that verse 19. I'm going to backtrack just a little bit to show you that. He says they, talking about the Antichrist, went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Christian, you can't and you won't fall out of the hands of God. He's not the parent that will drop you when you're a baby. He's not the parent that will forget you and leave you at Walmart. Anyone ever do that? Not yet, but our kid's only a year still, so. That's not God. God's not that parent. He has done a work in your life, and he will continue to do a work in your life. If you love Jesus, he will ensure that you will not go out from us. He doesn't drop his kids. He doesn't forget his kids. This beautiful doctrine, some call it the perseverance of the saints. Others call it eternal security, can be greatly misunderstood. So I want to clear up what it does and doesn't mean. This comfort and this assurance that God will not let go of us. It does not mean what this verse is not saying. Don't walk out of here thinking this is what verse 19 says. It does not mean that you can just pray a prayer and then reject Jesus every day from then on That is an evil belief. It doesn't mean walk the aisle and then live how you want because you're good. That is not eternal security. In fact, John is saying the exact opposite. He would say that that's proof that you were never of us. Right? But if they went out from us, it will become plain that they were never of us. They're not of us. If you walk the aisle, you pray a prayer, and then you live like Jesus doesn't exist for the next 20 years, that's just proof that you were never of us to start with. That's not what it means. Instead, what it means, if you truly are of us, John would say, if you just love Jesus, if you truly love Jesus, if you're truly part of his church, then you will be persevered by Christ till the very end. That's what John is saying in verse 19. And it's not you who perseveres your faith. It's not me who perseveres my faith. It's Christ. And that's what the lyric, the hymn, is talking about. He will hold me fast. Let me read that. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He won't hold me fast. 
He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by Him at such a cost, He will hold me fast. I, I wish I could just, the rest of the song says it. Just listen to it. I, I couldn't read it all, but I just put some of it on there. And so that's encouragement to you. In the last hour, when there's many antichrists coming from the church, God has done a great work in your life. He's illuminated you to see Him as He is, and He will persevere you if He's illuminated you to see Him to start with. So, I'm going to wrap up here. While we see the realities of the last day, we can remember He's anointed you He's given you knowledge and He will persevere your faith. And so the unique privilege that you and I have is to confess that we know the Father. That we can confess His name, confess His work in our life. That's what the last verse of this passage says. If we go back to verse 23. He's talking to His children. Now He's No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. If He's done that work in your life, listen, it's your privilege and it's your mandate to confess God every day until you die. So we obviously do that firstly before God. We confess to Him our sins and our need for Him. Let me just speak to the person. If, if you're in this room, you've never done that before. If you've never prayed for salvation, you've never confessed your sins before Jesus, let me just model a prayer of what that might look like. And just repeating the words I say won't do anything for you. Meaning them, though, in your heart will change everything for all of eternity for you. This is what maybe confessing sins to Jesus might look like. You could say it in your own words, but something like, Dear God, I know I don't deserve you or for you to accept me or for you to hear me. I've been guilty my whole life of not loving you the way you should be loved. I've ignored you and I've chosen many things over you. I know I need forgiveness. I just ask you, God, kindly give it to me. Thank you for the death of Jesus. You took my place of judgment for sin. And thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. You conquered death for me. Please change me from this day on to live with you at the center of my life. That's what it means to confess to God. But then after confessing to God, we can confess to others, right? That He's our Savior. That's through baptism. Making that public declaration. And then, after that, we can do it with our daily actions. How we live is a confession of Christ in our life. And we confess Christ until He returns by taking communion regularly with the saints. It's confessing that I partake in what God has done for me. And we're going to do that right now as a public confession of our continued need for Jesus for us. So I'd like to invite the deacons to come up for communion at this time. As they're coming up and preparing the elements, I just want to prep.
Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 